Elijah starts his ministry in front of the king of Israel, calling out his sins publicly. Not a great way to win friends and influence people. But that's not what God called him to do. In calling out his sins, he's also calling out the consequences to his sin. Because Ahab, the king of Israel, and Jezebel, his wife, had included and encouraged and incorporated uh, Baal worship along with Asherah, they were convinced they were doing the right thing. Because Israel was blessed. Israel was growing and there was, there was rain in the land. And many fruits and vegetables and the animals were doing well. So for Elijah to make this statement that there is no longer going to be rain is this amazing statement. It's calling Elijah's God greater than Baal, greater than Asherah. And he does it publicly. From there, God calls him into the wilderness. While he goes into the wilderness, God brings in these these unclean animals to provide for him. It's as if God sanctifies, sets apart these unclean animals for his holy work. Great picture of what God still does today. For three and a half years, Elijah is there, being provided for from the brook and from these ravens. And God calls him out and into Zarephath. Zarephath is in the north. It's a a foreign land. And he is cared for there by a widow woman, a sick widow woman. Not just her, but her family was sick. God used Elijah miraculously in the home, uh, not just with provision, but also with her son who dies. And God uses Elijah to heal, heal the son. And the son, or and this family comes to faith in Yahweh. From there, God calls Elijah back to Ahab to confront Ahab again. And in this confrontation, he meets Ahab. He asks Ahab to bring Israel and all of the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. On top of Mount Carmel, he addresses uh, the people and he says this, How long will you go limping from one to the other, from one idea to the other idea. Either Yahweh is God and we should worship him or Baal is God and we should worship him. But we shouldn't go from opinion to opinion. At that place, Baal, the, Baal, the prophets of Baal begin to make sacrifices and Baal does not accept the sacrifice. And then Elijah does. And Elijah presents these sacrifices and God miraculously consumes them. At that moment, upon uh, consuming, Elijah rounds up the prophets of Baal and gets rid of them. It's an amazing moment. The height of the ministry, going from in front of the nation to obscurity to uh, becoming a foreigner, back to in front of a nation. And he is at the top. What happens when you're at the top? What happens in that place? I would suggest that it's at that place that we often find ourselves at a corner. The corner of faith and fear. And that's exactly where Elijah finds himself. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open it up 
to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. We won't have that passage on the screen. I, I did that kind of on purpose. I want to encourage us to get our Bibles, uh, get them out, underline, highlight, make notes. If you have your phone, that's fine, but do the same in that. Engaging in the Word is so helpful in our spiritual growth, and it's always amazing when you'll be thinking of a passage, and you'll remember that passage in a specific location, on a specific page uh, in, your, in your Bible that you underlined or highlighted. It's just amazing how God brings that to mind. Um, so, anyways, that's why it's not on the board. You can uh, chew me out later if you like. First Kings chapter 19 is where we're at, and we're going to read through this passage. Uh, I want you to get your, your pen out because there are a couple places I'm going to have you highlight as we go. Again, remembering he's just come off of Mount Carmel. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. So the king is telling the queen everything that Elijah had done. The reason that's important is that the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, dined at Jezebel's table. She had a relationship with them. She liked them. She brought them there. She cared for them. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of, those, of, one of them by this time tomorrow. So what do you think the next verse says? So Elijah said, Too bad. And fire is going to come down and consume you. It could be, but this is what he says. Elijah became afraid. After, after Mount Carmel, you became afraid, Elijah? Yeah, yeah, he did. I want you to underline that word afraid. Uh, some translations might even say fear, or he feared. Uh, underline that word. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Wow, that's a big statement. You came off of Mount Carmel, and now there is, the queen of Israel says, I want to kill you, and your response is, Lord, just let me die. Wow. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. So think about what is happening. There is this uh, mentality from Elijah, and, and we can fall into this very easily, that he's alone. Uh, he's done everything he's supposed to do. He's tried everything he can, and in the end, he's alone. And it would be better for him to be dead than to be alive. 
We can find ourselves in that place very easily. Let's continue on in that same verse 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I'd like you to underline that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's response. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, but the, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. With the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. He, God, said, go out and stand at the mountain in the Lord's presence. Let's pause there for a moment. So, Elijah is even clarifying to God himself, I've been zealous after you. I've wanted this people to repent. I've wanted them to come to know you. I've wanted them to follow you, but they haven't. They're not interested. In fact, they've tore down your altars. They don't care. Uh, They've broken the covenant that you made with them. Lord, it is better for me to be dead. I I don't even know what to do here. And God, God is calling Elijah out of the cave, and he wants to meet Elijah and I, want you, I don't want to miss what happens here. In that same verse, next sentence, at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. That's interesting. Because the word in Hebrew and in Greek, for that matter, for spirit, can also be the same word for wind. So you would think that there would be a natural connection with God and wind. Uh, it, It makes sense culturally speaking. But then it goes on. After the wind was, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Again, this was a sign that, hey, uh, in the ancient world, when there was an earthquake, God is trying to get our attention. This is not normal. This (laughs) This isn't okay. God wants to tell us something. But he's saying, no, God's not even in that. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Pause there. God, our God, Yahweh, is closely associated with fire. We could go into this great word study. We're not going to do that today. But uh, from the very beginning, we see this connection with fire. However, some obvious connections would be with Moses and the burning bush. God showed up in a burning bush and spoke to Moses, though the bush didn't burn up. So that happened with fire. That same God also led the children of Israel out of Egypt and toward the promised land, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then just shortly before this passage, there is this God who answers uh, Elijah by fire and consumes the offering up by fire, heaven to earth. So fire is closely associated with God, but he's not in that. And after the fire, there was a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Second time. I would suggest to you that Elijah is running into the wilderness in part because that's what he's done before. That's the way that Uh, that he has been protected in the past, and so he runs into the wilderness. I would suggest that perhaps one of the reasons he goes to Mount Horeb is that is where God met Moses way back when, and maybe God will meet him in that place. 
I would suggest that part of the reason that God is not in the wind and is not in the earthquake and is not in the fire is because that's how God has spoken in the past. And he wants to tell Elijah, there, you can't always depend on the past. I want to meet you in new ways, fresh ways, right here, right now. Don't depend on that. Perhaps. Verse 14. Elijah's response, exactly like the first time, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. He replied, uh, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. I have nothing to give, he's saying. Then verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus, When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Uh, You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Safat, from Abel-Mahola. Sorry, my glasses are, I'm like, it's time for a new prescription, folks. Uh, (laughs) uh, As prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. Then he says, But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He is saying, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. I am with you and I have a plan. And here's a part of that plan. Anoint these people. Oh, I am with you and I am with my people and I've preserved my people. And by the way, you're not alone. Be with those people. 7,000. I wonder how you're doing in these days. I wonder if you're in a similar place in your walk, in your life, in this time in world history. Feeling alone feeling by yourself, perhaps even forsaken by God, then if that is the case, you're at a crossroad. And that crossroad is faith and fear. What I'd like to do is take a deeper dive to look at faith and fear a little bit more closely. Specifically, that fear does not please God. Faith does please God. And then more specifically, how uh, Elijah manifests both of these things and how God might be calling us to respond to him. Let's jump into this. Fear does not please God. Um, One of the principles that I, I often use in studying God's word and specifically with word studies, it's called the principle of first mention. And so what we'll do is we'll see a word, a unique phrase, and then we'll go back and look at the first time it's used to give some context. And then from there, we'll take a look at kind of how it evolves in Scripture and how it's used throughout Scripture. So it's called the principle of first mention. We use it often, and it's a good way to study Scripture and understand context uh, throughout Scripture. Fear is one of those. There are several words that are used, but... In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, uh, the scripture identifies in English that he was afraid. Elijah was afraid. I had you underline that word. The first time that that Hebrew word is used is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. I find that really interesting because that's this part after Adam and Eve have sinned. And this is what it says. And he said... 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is Adam talking to God. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Same word that's used here. Elijah was afraid. It's interesting because this is the first time it's used, and when it's used, it is a separation from God and an unnatural fear. Separation. That's important, as we're going to see in just a moment. So if I'm saying fear is bad, is there good fear? Like, maybe there are places that you shouldn't go, and that's wise, and maybe fear drives you to not go to those places. That's perhaps. But I would make another suggestion, that there is good fear when that fear is associated with a right view of God. So culturally speaking, I, I, I see this from time to time. It pops up in memes and that sort of thing. And it's this idea that God is our buddy. Like, Jesus is my pal. He's my friend. He's my buddy. Um, that's a dangerous place to stand. Though we know Scripture, Jesus does refer to his disciples. He says, now I call you friend. But he's calling his disciples up to where he's at in this mission together. He's not going down to sin to be where they're at, right? He's not willing to sin to be where they're at. That's not what he's saying. But sometimes we have this, I don't know, this flippancy about God. Oh, the old man in the sky, my friend, my buddy, he's a grandpa, he's kind of nice. He either really loves me and wants me to be happy, or he hates that I'm happy and stomps it out. We kind of have these weird views of God sometimes that pervade, at least in our culture. And we have to be really careful because we know this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what the Proverbs and Psalms remind us of. And so if that's true, there is this healthy view of God. And this healthy view of God looks something like this, that there is a God who can speak and worlds exist. He has the ability to draw us up and judge us or to call us to himself. He has the ability to heal and he has the ability to let bad things happen. There is this this holy reverence that we have to have for God. That is a good kind of fear when it's focused on God, a holy reverence. It's not that um, we have to be scared of him because he calls us to himself. He calls us his children. In fact, we can have an intimate relationship with him. So there is that, but there is like, that is this part of this God and we have to be careful. But then, so is there a bad type of fear? Yes, Luke chapter 12, verse four uh, Jesus is talking, and he says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Then they're done. But fear the one who can kill the body and send the soul to hell. That's not referring to Satan. That's God. Fear him. So our fear, a holy, a good fear is directed towards God. I have a healthy reverence and respect for him. Bad fear is towards people and situations. Bad fear. Just as a point of clarity, uh, uh, we'll come back to it in just a moment. So let's go ahead and take a look at faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. So if fear is the opposite of faith, then, uh, then fear can't please God, fear that's directed towards people. But faith 
pleases God. And so let's walk through this. Starting, uh, it's Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If you're following along in your Bibles, underline hope. Uh, the conviction of things not seen. Hope is one of those words that we often kind of use interchangeably with faith, and we shouldn't, because they're dynamically two different things. So let's clarify what is the difference between hope and faith. Um, Biblical hope, generally there are three words that are used, two in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. In general terms, hope means to wait for. So in general terms, hope means to wait for. I will wait for this. I hope for this. I'm waiting for this uh, thing to happen, right? But uh, one of the words that's used is kava. Kav is the root of that word. Kav is the word for cord. So what happens when you take a cord and you stretch it out and you're able to keep stretching it and keep stretching it you'll notice that strands start to pop, pop, pop. And that's the idea with this type of waiting. Kava is, okay, I'm expecting something to happen. Something is going to happen. I see something is happening. I am anticipating something to happen. It would be a little bit like if you have a balloon. Have you ever been around somebody who has a balloon? You know they're going to pop it. You're just not sure when. You kind of, here it comes, here it comes. Pops. Um, it's, it's that sort of anticipation. I, it's inevitable. Something is going to happen. I know that it's going to happen. I am expecting. It's not anxiety. That's not where I'm going with this. But you know that it's about to happen. That's this type of hope. When we follow this word in scriptures, we find ourselves in the Psalms. And the Psalms tell us that we have this sort of anticipation, this hope in God. So the reason that is so important is because oftentimes we put our hope in the wrong things. We can put our hope in perhaps our health. Okay, that's fine, but then what happens when your health goes bad? And our job, okay, that's fine, but what happens when our job goes bad? And money, okay, that's fine, but what happens when we run out of money? And elections, what happens when it doesn't go the way we want it? Like, there are problems, you see it? If, our, if we're looking to outcomes as our hope. But what we're saying and what the biblical principle here is, like in every situation I'm in, whether that's with my health or with my money or with my job or with an election, is that I have this anticipation that God's showing up. There is this tension in my life that whatever the situation is, God is about to show up and I can't wait to see him. I know he's going to do something big and I'm just waiting for that last strand to pop because he's coming. It's going to happen. And that's the idea in the New Testament, whereas in the Old Testament, it's this this general, like, God is showing up in the New Testament. It's narrowed down onto the person of Christ. Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord coming, his return. We have this anticipation that he's showing up, that there's this tension in our world, and, and one day this tension is ultimately going to break, and Jesus is going to be there. Now, I would say that that is uh, physical and absolute, but it happens spiritually every day as we find ourselves at that intersection of fear and faith. As believers, what's it going to be? Well, let's dig into that a little more. Let's talk a little bit more about fear. So Elijah is in this spot where he's at the, like the top of his game, remember? Like you, that's a pretty cool story. That's a story that has been told for thousands of years, and 
people in all kinds of different cultures have heard the story of, of God showing up on Mount Carmel. It's an amazing story. And it's Elijah's story. It's, it's Elijah, how, how God worked in Elijah in those days. Amazing thing. But he finds himself in fear because the queen of Israel threatens his life. And he's fearful. Fear focuses on self. This is not an anticipation of God showing up. This is, oh my word, the situation is bigger than I can handle. Something bad is going to happen to me. I better do something. Again, I want to clarify a point here because it it would be easy to read into what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is um, loosely go through life and just kind of let life happen to you and that's God's will. That might sound like what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying and that'll become clear in a moment. But what I am saying is that God is about to show up. And Fear focuses on self. It focuses on a situation. It narrows it down. Fear assumes God in old ways. Well, God, you can't do it this way. You've never done it this way. I've seen you in the wind. I've seen you in an earthquake. I've seen you in fire. But I've never seen you in a whisper. Fear assumes God in old ways. And by the way, it'll keep us held to a past too. A past that God has already moved on from. So we have to be careful. Fear takes us from soaring to crashing. Early on in ministries, in ministry, I would take Mondays off. And I learned really quick that I can't take Mondays off because Sundays are so cool. <laughs> like, I love Sundays. I love before services, walking around, talking to people. Uh, I love in the services. We get to worship. I love to hear the testimonies. I love the Worship teams that lead us in songs of praise and celebration. I love to get in the Word. I love to get deeper. I love after the services and the conversations that occur. I love that stuff. I love anointing with oil. I love seeing God move in people's lives. It's a, it's a Mount Carmel experience almost every Sunday, it seems like. And then Monday hits, and it's like, oh, I had nothing left. This is the worst. Man, why do I even do this? And I have too much time to focus on it. But that's not just true in in ministry. I know the kids came back from fall retreat, and that was a conversation that was had very purposeful with our students because it was like, you're on this mountain, and you're coming down off the mountain, and it's going to feel different. And you might feel even some pressure. You might even feel like, oh, God isn't as real here as he was up on the mountain. What is going on? And so those conversations were being had, but it's in part because oftentimes when we're soaring, we also come crashing down. And fear drives us to want to give up. It's not worth it. Ugh, this is too hard. This situation is more than I can. I told myself that God was going to meet me in this health situation, and he didn't. So now I'm mad at God. I told God, God, you need to supply more money because I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And he didn't do it the way that I thought, and now I'm mad. I told God I needed a new job, and I still stuck in this old job. I told God who he needed to vote for, and he didn't do it. Like, that's a problem, right? Mm. Fear drives us to give up. Now, maybe, God, you're not who you said you were. Well, let's talk about faith. So earlier, I talked about hope. Let's clarify some things about faith. 
Martin Luther King Jr., he, he, I believe this is attributed to him, he said it this way, that uh, taking the first step, or take the first step, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And it's so true in our walk with Christ. Like, uh, oftentimes, and I think this is especially true culturally where we are in the United States, we, we want to know every step, right? Like, okay, tell me about the staircase. Like, what color is it? Uh, is there carpet on it? Mm, am I going to need shoes? What type of shoes should I wear? Is there a landing? Because if there is, I need to know how big it is and, you know, how much time I can spend on that. Is there, is there going to be anybody coming down the stairs while I'm going up? We have all these questions. It's like, no, just take a step. Just step. That's all you got to do. Just step and trust God. This faith that is talked about in Scripture is, is often, um, uh, again, culturally, it's this idea of like, uh, there's no reason to believe. You just believe because you believe. Like, uh, can't you just, I don't know, believe? That's not the type of biblical faith that we're talking about. Biblical faith is a substance. I know that I can believe because I've seen what God has done. Because of what God has done in the past, I know what God can do here in the future. And in my place of tension, I have this hope and trust that God is going to meet me in this place. Because that is true, I am confident that I can walk in faith in the future because he's going to meet me there too. Uh, that, is, that is that concept of faith. And so it is based on fact, but it's also concrete. It's not knowledge. It's not information. It's an actual step. A few months ago in Cheyenne, Wyoming, we did a baptism. In doing this baptism, one of the people that was being baptized was a teenage girl. I want to say she was 13 or 14. And I asked this question, why do you want to be baptized? And she said, it just shakes me up that a 13, 14-year-old would say this, but she said this, it just seems like it's always the right time to do the right thing. Like, I don't feel like I have to. It's just always the right time to do the right thing. Well, like, that'll preach. <laughs> you know, you go get them on Sunday. I don't have anything better than that to say. But that's the idea. It's always the right time to do the right thing. I'm going to be obedient to God's word, and that is faith. It's not knowing God's word and just keeping it there. It's doing something with God's word. So, Faith focuses on God. God is going to show up in this situation. I'm going to meet him in this situation. I'm going to trust him in this situation. No matter how tense it's, I'm going to trust him. Faith realizes that God is the provider. Uh, like Tom said in the video earlier today, uh, this man who didn't accept him, who fired him as a customer, did so knowing that this biggest account wasn't his provider. It's God. God is our provider. Faith reminds us of past victories. Like, it is okay to know that God has spoken in the past through the wind. It is okay to know that God has spoken in earthquakes. It is okay to know that God has spoken in fire. It is okay to also receive God speaking in the now with his word, that soft, gentle word. It's okay. And he might do something a little different in the future, and I just have to be willing to go, okay, God, I'm going to hear you in that place. And I'm not, I'm not bound to that. I remember that. And I love that. Faith makes us wrestle with positional questions. Remember I had you underline something earlier? What, 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 what was the question? Sit out. 
why are you here? Why are you here, Elijah? What's the, what's the implied statement? You're not supposed to be here. There's another question that uh, God asks Adam way back in Genesis. And he says, where are you? It's in the garden, right? Uh, it's not like this. Where are you? Like, didn't I put you under a bush somewhere? Where are you? I can't find you. You know, that is not the question. The question is, where are you? What have you done? There's lamenting that has occurred in that question. And I wonder if God maybe is asking us, that. I think in faith, can we receive that God may be asking us that question? Where are you? Or why are you here? For us to receive that in faith and say, yeah, why, why am I here? What am I doing? Is it a, am, am I standing in a position of faith or am I going in a position of fear? What am I doing in this moment? Faith makes our walk with God fresh. We hear him in new ways, and we've already talked about that. And then finally, faith requires action. It's not, it's not the kind of action that's like, um, my works are going to save me. That's not what we mean. But what we are saying is that because I believe, because I've trusted Jesus, then I'm going to love God. And I'm going to love others. And that's going to require me to do stuff. That's what it means. So what will that look like for us? Um, in just a moment, I'm going to play a video. And um, this video, it's maybe 10, 12 years old. I'm not sure. So it's a, it's a little bit dated. You maybe have even seen it already. But I think it's one of the best uh, video clips that I've ever seen that identifies our walk in faith. And perhaps now is the best time that this video clip can speak to us where we're at. I just want to encourage you to engage and watch and see if this applies to you. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It's all hard. 
You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. Don't quit! No! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Brock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going! Keep going! Go, Brock Kelly! You don't quit on me! No! You keep going! You keep going! Go, Brock! Ten more steps! Ten more! Ten more! Ten more! Keep going! Don't quit! Give me your heart! You can! You can! Five more! Five more! Come on, Brock! Come on! Don't quit! Don't quit! Come on, Brock! Two more! One more! Oh. It's got to be 50! It's got to be 50! How many more? Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. I wonder about you. I wonder if you're in that place of experiencing some lean times, loneliness, sickness, maybe relationships are hurting, maybe it's just fear of the unknown, maybe it's unmet expectations and you're willing to give up. And maybe like Elijah, you're in that place of just like, God, I just take me home. I am so done. And I would say that perhaps the message today in this crossroads of faith and fear is that God didn't give up on you, and he's not done with you. And in this place, we know that Jesus was willing to die on the cross for us. Like, he didn't give up. He was willing to take sin and death on that cross, my sin and my death, your sin and your death, and take it to the cross. And he's called us in like manner to follow him, to pick up our cross and carry him. And there are tough days, no doubt, Nobody is saying it's not. Nobody is saying it's not going to hurt. It will. But God wants to use that. And it can be an offering to him. In a world that is in desperate need of the church to rise up, now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to shy away, but to lean in. What might God be calling you to do? What might he be saying to you today? Will you, at this intersection, choose faith or choose fear? Your call. Jesus, we love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you, O Lord, and we ask, just in a very real way, in this moment, that you would meet us. We thank you for this ordinary man who loved you and experienced life and some honest, painful truths of that life experienced and, and showed. And yet, Lord, you, you met him, and you want to meet us too. We offer this to you now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.